Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, I'm really excited to share today's podcast with guest Becky Kearns, also known as At Defining Mum. Becky shares her journey to parenthood, which resulted in using donor eggs to conceive her three beautiful girls. I learned so much talking to Becky and found her insights and journey absolutely fascinating. It's also made me reflect a lot on my own family and if, when and how we should talk to our children about the conception of our second born, our daughter, who was conceived through IVF. My apologies in advance, but we had a few technical issues with connection. Becky lives out in the sticks so the audio quality isn't as good as normal. But regardless, I hope you liked the episode as much as I enjoyed making it. And please take a look at Becky's Instagram for more information. Hi, Becky. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. You've just done the school and nursery drop-off. And uh, Have you got a cup of coffee? Yeah. Um, you, you know what? I didn't have time, but I'm going to have one straight after. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. It's just been one of those manic mornings today. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much um, for giving me your time. I really appreciate it. Um, so I start the podcast um, pretty much every week with the same question, which is how you met your husband. Yeah, so I, oh gosh, I'm trying to think how long ago it was now. Um, I met my husband, it's coming up to nine years ago, I think. Um I had been single for a while after a, a, quite a long-term relationship and I was doing a sort of a, a, an evening college course um, just for something extra to do really for, for my work um, and I was chatting to a friend there and just saying oh you don't know anyone do you I just think I'm getting ready to date again and <laughs> he said oh actually yeah there's a guy who plays football with my boyfriend and um, I think you'd really get on so it was it was a blind date really we were set up and we went out with them um, and just hit it off straight away um, and within about a month I was pretty much staying there all the time it was it just seemed right and I think because I'd been in such a long-term relationship and kind of this time I knew what I was looking for um yeah and Matt is eight years older than me so um there's a bit of an age gap um and so I think he was at that stage where he was getting ready to settle down and, and yeah. so was I and um yeah everything just seemed to work out and we bought a house about sort of 12 months later together wow. um, yeah so it was all quite fast actually um but yeah I've never looked back really that's amazing I've spoken to quite obviously because I I asked the same question I think it is the the case almost is when it's when it's right it's right there's no games there's no kind of messing around you're just like okay this is it this is how it's meant to be and it's just nice and easy and um oh it's just such a relief I think as well well yeah yeah I think um just because I'd I'd been in this long-term relationship for so long and I've been there with my previous partner since I was 15 oh wow Um, we've been together like sort of 10 years I think I was 25 at the time so then I'd I'd been out of that relationship for about a year and I had a couple of like kind of dating things that didn't seem to really go anywhere and and you start thinking am I ready to meet someone else um but um (laughs) I'll just pause a minute coffee machine going it's all right don't worry (laughs) um telling you you need coffee I know I know it's telling me um I think it's finished now yeah so we like I say it went pretty quickly and then we got engaged two years after being together so he totally took me by surprise he always led me to believe he was one of these people that wasn't really that bothered about getting married um and so we were on holiday in Malaysia and oh wow I he'd got the ring and I was too busy looking on the iPad you know you do you just kind of do your own thing and he's like trying to get me to put it down and then I was like oh oh really um yeah so it, everything just kind of it just fell into place really um Aww. and I'd like I suppose this would lead into what we're going to talk about but I'd always wanted to be a mum um mm-hmm. again again I don't think he'd really had that desire all his life but he thought I wanted to do that and then wanted to do that with me so we 
after we got engaged, um, about six months later, we started to um, try for a baby. So we thought, let's do that. We, there's no rush to actually get married. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started um, and after about, I think it was about five or six months, I started to kind of notice certain symptoms that I was getting. So I was, I'd come off the pill, but my periods were happening sort of sometimes every 12 days. Um, oh, really? Every, it's really short cycles. Oh, wow. um, and I kept going to the GP and I was told, you, you're young, it'll just be your body settling down after the pill. But I knew from kind of reading up that there was no way I could get pregnant within that space of time. Gosh, no. um, yeah. I just had no idea. My, I was using ovulation sticks and nothing was saying that I was, it was just all over the place. There was no mm-hmm. pattern at all. Um, and I hadn't put two and two together, but I was also having night sweats um, and just kind of general memory fog and just not feeling quite right. But I just thought maybe this is just because I'm getting stressed because we're trying yeah. for a baby and it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so it took three goes with the um, with the GP to finally get them to run some tests. Just because of my age, I was 27 at the time, um, nearly wow. 28. Yeah. So, yeah, and for them, they didn't expect that there would be anything wrong. And eventually they ran um some blood tests on day three of my cycle um and they said look we'll let you know by a text message whether things are okay or not and I got a text message the day later and it said results are fine so I thought oh great but I just had this niggle in my head and I thought I just because I'd been reading up on things and I I quite like to research these things I thought I just want to know how fine they are so Mm -hmm. I asked for a copy of my results um and I remember the day I went to pick them up. I sat back in my car, opened the envelope, and I thought, my FSH is 17. And I know it should be lower than that. I, I'm sure I've read that. Mm-hmm. Um, went home, Googled, you know what it's Google. like. You Google Dr. Google. Diagnosed <laughs> myself. Um, and I couldn't get hold of the GP because it was a bank holiday weekend. So I couldn't speak of to course. anyone. Absolutely. Of course. Always is. <laughs> yes. Um, and the following week, when I finally got hold of him, he said, oh, yeah, sorry, I thought you'd, we'd taken the mid-cycle. I don't know what that would have told him. Oh, wow. So he basically interpreted, interpreted them incorrectly. Um, and on the back of that, I then went to see a private consultant just a few days later. I just needed to get some answers. Um, mm-hmm. And he looked at kind of my cycle charts. He looked at my blood results. And he said, look, it, it's likely that you are experiencing what we call premature ovarian failure but we need to do a few more tests to confirm that and um he ran a test um the anti-malarian hormone test which is an amh test mm-hmm. um and that basically looks at your egg reserve levels um and i still remember the day as well when i had the phone call about that where i was in work and kind of took a seat he said well you're sitting down oh, no. um and i know you kind of know at that point yeah. it's not really good <laughs> Um, and my AMH was 0.7, so that was basically saying that my egg reserve reflected that for someone in their late 40s. Um, Gosh. So, yeah, suddenly went from really excited about trying for a baby with this man that I've met and it's going really well and we've been kind of planning this future together and then suddenly to be told that it may not happen. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of a huge moment in my life and and – I found at the time I don't think I realized how big it was I think I kept kind of saying come on Becky pull yourself together like just carry on at work and keep Mm -hmm. going and um I think that's it so often though you do you keep going because you don't actually stop to think and process what's just been what you've just like been told and and it's only later that it catches up yeah yeah absolutely it's only when I look back now that I realized how kind of big it was when we were going through it and I, I mean, I was really lucky. I had a brilliant consultant. So the consultant that that ran those tests for me um, basically said, "Look, I'm going to get you straight into the IVF clinic." He said, you, "We're not going to be able to do the funding route because it's going to take too long. But if you're able to pay for a round, then let's get you in." I know someone who works at the local clinic. So basically, within six weeks, I was starting my first IVF cycle. Oh, that's amazing! Um, which was amazing. Yeah, and we were but very again. Lucky. That's very quick. So had you had your head caught up with that? Yeah, I don't think I'd even realise. Kind of in my head, actually, I think I was excited more than anything else because I thought, "Oh, this actually gives us a chance." And mm-hmm. the consultant seemed quite positive with my age. They said, "Look, if we can get some eggs, then the quality is likely to be good." So yeah. we're hopeful. Um, 
and yeah let me throw all this money at this IVF cycle and I've always been terrified of needles so that was one thing that I um yeah so but it's one way to get over it um going through IVF when you want something so badly you'll you'll do anything and we yeah we went through that cycle um all a bit of a whirlwind um and at the same time I started a new job as well which wasn't ideal but I retrieved I think they retrieved three eggs three eggs from me which they were quite happy with given my numbers um we had one embryo on day three um and that they wanted to put that back early they said let's put it back rather than wait and um about two weeks later I found out I was pregnant so I thought oh my goodness this that happens that's it yeah it's worked um they were right about my young eggs it must have worked (laughs) and I just put it all behind me and I thought that's it now I'm pregnant I'm pregnant and didn't think of anything else I was so naive at the time and we went, uh, got to about seven, I think it was about seven and a half weeks when I started to get some strange sort of pains in my abdomen. I thought, mm, um, maybe best get to get this checked out and um, went to the early pregnancy unit and, and they ran some blood tests. My hormone levels were okay. Um, and I was told to come back the next day for a scan. They just wanted to make sure it wasn't ectopic. Yeah. And I, again, another one of those moments you'll never forget. It was, we were kind of in there and in a way I'd got myself a little bit excited that we might be seeing our baby for the first time yeah. a week before we were supposed to at the clinic. I thought <laughs> it might work out okay. And uh, luckily Matt was able to come with me. Um, but they, they, all they could see was a sack and it was empty. Um, and yeah, I did, hadn't prepared myself in the slightest for that news. No. Um, and also didn't really quite know what it meant. And we, we got ushered down the corridor to this room where there were posters all over the wall about miscarriage support. <laughs> and uh, no one had really told us what it meant at that stage. And um, then we had a nurse come in and sort of say, oh, you're young, don't worry. It was, you know, without reading the notes. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, we were told that it could still be developing and we had to come back another week later. Oh, so it's so hard. That's really later. hard. It was so tough. It was the longest week ever. And I spent that week just trying to look for stories of success. <laughs> I was trying to look for those misdiagnosed miscarriages and that's all I could kind of focus on. Or maybe that my uterus is at an odd angle so they can't see it. Or maybe there's. I was yeah. trying to convince myself because I still felt very much pregnant and um so I had to keep on the medication that following week it was confirmed that it wasn't a viable pregnancy um and then it it went on because we were told to wait for things to happen naturally which it didn't um my consultant advised against having uh, the DNC because they didn't want any scarring I'd already got quite a thin lining so they didn't want to ruin that so I went in for medical management uh, this was another week later, so this is sort of three weeks since, um, and that didn't work. <laughs> I ended up staying overnight, uh, and then the next morning I had a DNC, and I kind of thought, I wish I'd have just had that at the very beginning <laughs> because that would have saved all this. Um, I've been in a similar situation myself, where like six weeks later, yeah. <laughs> finally get the DNC. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but, and you're just like in limbo, aren't you? All that it's time, hard. it's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And where was your headspace at this point um because you you've been through such a lot in such a short period of time and like you said you are still you are still so young yeah I suddenly I think it then all hit me kind of I'd just like been fueled by adrenaline and hope I think throughout that first cycle Mm -hmm. um that I'd not really thought about the prospect of it not working and having been through all of that, all the injections, all the, every single hurdle of going for a scan and thinking, is there, are there even going to be any follicles there? Are they developing? Am I even going to get any eggs? Are they going to fertilize? Are they going to... The thought of having to go right back to the start was oh, just terrifying. And exhausting I, I, as well. I said, exhausting. Yeah. And, and I'm always happy once I'm doing something, I've got a plan in place. So mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, just let me go again soon. And they said, no, we need to wait two cycles for oh, really? to be able to start again yeah and, and then it fell over Christmas as well so even though I was ready they weren't they were closed so it, it ended up being almost three months before we started again and I mean we took a holiday together during that time which we just needed to get away um which really helped um, good. and uh, yeah and then the new year brought a new cycle and we thought well actually let's take from it what we can we did get pregnant we we got that far so 
hopefully it will happen again um the we moved clinics as well actually um we weren't very happy with reviewed at the previous clinic and and we had a new consultant who wanted to try a new protocol and was very hopeful um yeah and then we went through cycles two three four (laughs) obviously each one didn't work wow Um, one of them we didn't even get to transfer the other two were a negative result we only ever had one embryo each time and during that time I think my mental health just went downhill I really struggled just to kind of keep going at work I'd lost all my motivation and interest of course absolutely zooming um and and what's what's the time period here as well so time period this was in about six months so oh gosh again really quick wow yeah there was a one of the cycles was they wanted to try a natural to collect um, that egg just without any stimulation drugs. Um, so that one was quite a quick one. I didn't have to do any sort of um, preparation or down reg or anything like that. Um, but also during this time, we were kind of thinking we need another focus. And we decided to um, progress with the wedding. And that gave Aww. me that focus. So we, we said, right, we're just going to do this now. We're going to get married. Um and we organised this gorgeous TP wedding um, in a field just two minutes down the road from where we lived. Oh, um, lovely. So, yeah, and, and that was so nice. And I kind of look back at the photos of myself on that day, and that was just after the fourth failed cycle. And, and I remember going through these cycles thinking, oh, well, if I'm pregnant on my wedding day, I don't care. <laughs> I'd be so happy um, just to, to have a bump. But it didn't happen. And, and it, I think it made our relationship stronger. So when we were you know, getting married, we were kind of for better, for worse. We'd already been through so much together. Yeah. We kind of knew. Um, that, that's two massive things to be doing at once, though, IVF and wedding. <laughs> but it kind of was the, the kind of the really difficult thing and the thing that I could get really excited about as well. And it was, it, it, it helped. Worked. It definitely helped. Um, so, yeah, we, and, and by the time we got to, the wedding we had had some conversations with our consultant and donor eggs had been mentioned as an option and and at the very beginning we couldn't even really contemplate it my husband in particular didn't want to think about that as an option Mm -hmm. I started to probably start thinking about it sooner um and in the end my, my husband is very statistical logical he goes down that I'm very emotionally driven um so I suppose we, we balance each other quite well but I mm-hmm. remember him saying to our consultant um so can you give us some percentage chances here you're saying that Becky's young it's more likely to work because she's young but we've had look four failures now and um we haven't got an, <laughs> a pot of money that's gonna last forever no, no. <laughs> this is kind of our savings that we didn't like envisaged for our children to go to university and to do all these things and um he said look if I'm being really honest you're probably looking at a five percent chance with Becky's eggs and and we can keep going and it's about finding that golden egg if we were to move to donor eggs you're looking at a 50 to 60 percent chance of success and it was kind of that as well where you kind of take a step back and take all of the emotion out of it and look at it and think okay what what is it we're trying to achieve here Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be a mum um, I really wanted to experience pregnancy um, and birth and I genu- genuinely couldn't see myself going through many more cycles. I just don't think, think no. I had it in me. Yeah. Um, and I started to then shift my mindset. And this is where really defining mum came from um, around redefining what it really meant. And rather than focusing on what I would lose in terms of a genetic connection, I started to think about all of the things I would still gain. And that would be all of those opportunities to, to bond with my child um, to do all the little things that I've always wanted to do, to stand in the schoolyard and, and yeah. see my child running out towards me. And that's still, I still pinch myself at the moment as, as Mila, she's just started school. Um, just to do the everyday things, to have the sleepless nights, to have all of that. And, um, and I started to think I could do this. I think I could still, I, I would still love my child just as much. And I would regret not trying donor mm-hmm. eggs because that, that was kind of in my head, that was the next step to get to what, what we wanted. And it was actually on our honeymoon where Matt kind of turned to me and said, yeah, let's, let's maybe do one more cycle. And, and I'm coming around to the idea now. And 
um, crazy woman that I am, I was then on honeymoon researching clinics. Some <laughs> 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 of the things you do, and I'd built a spreadsheet and because we, <laughs> we the, the waiting list was so long in the UK. and um, For donor eggs? Yeah, for donor oh, eggs. Really? So, yeah, quite early on in the process, we went on the waiting list just for a kind of a backup, but hopefully backup, we won't yeah. need it. Yeah. And we'd been on it for, I think, at least 10 months. And they was I had one person tell me it could be another six months. One person said it could be up to another year. Right. And they were just struggling to find donors. And we were looking ahead. I thought, I just can't keep on with this uncertainty. No. Yeah. I was almost ready to quit my job. Um, and I, we looked abroad. I, I met somebody who had been abroad and um, they had a little boy now. And we had a, a load of sky, almost like interviews with these clinics abroad and just had a really good feeling about one in the Czech Republic. And it worked logistically for us. We were able to get there financially. It was a lot less than in the UK, um, significantly less. And, and kind of going into it with so many failed cycles, we were thinking, well, if it's taken five cycles to get here, yeah. <laughs> what about um, if it takes another yeah. five? We can afford to do yeah. that. And, and so we we decided that we would go abroad. Um, but at the same time, I had another kind of hormone test at my clinic. Um, I, don't, I can't actually remember why now, but it came out totally normal. I was having a month where my FSH was low. No. And they said, well, let's try another natural cycle if you're willing to. So I made this decision. Then we went, okay, let's give it one more shot with my eggs. Um, and randomly, we got two embryos from... <laughs> new stims on a cycle wow and I thought oh this is like this is it this is meant to be it's kind of that thing that miraculous story that always happens so I had two wow. data embryos put back at the same time as going out for a consultation in Prague and it was a real that's I didn't know a, what I wanted. no was that's a lot. a lot that's um your head couldn't have known where it was no no it didn't um and so yeah we, we kind of came back from that and then I tested and it was negative and in a way, that helped me close the door on my own eggs. Um, I knew I'd tried everything. Yeah. And I think I realized I was more ready for donor eggs because I didn't feel as upset as I thought I would. I then thought, okay, this is right. This is the next step for us. Yeah. Um, and we were really lucky that we were able to go and have treatment sort of two months later out in Prague. They kind of matched us with a donor quite quickly um, based on my physical characteristics. So is that, I was going to ask, how do they match or how, do, how much control do you have over the, the donor? It, so it all depends on which clinic you go to. And at the time, I didn't know a lot about clinics. So we kind of just went with the one we found. And, and the one we chose is one where you don't have that much con- control yourself. Okay. So you fill out a form, um, which is a strange form to fill out based on your own physical characteristics. Um I was really keen that they had a photo of me as well. So I sent a photo with it, even though they didn't ask for it. So look, can you just And at the time, it was really important that we looked alike. And I think at the time, it's very difficult to see so far ahead and how you're going to feel. But that felt very important to me back then. That so it doesn't, it doesn't feel as important now? No, no, it doesn't. Oh, really? I, I now see all of the other ways that they can be like me. And I always think that if, you kind of match with a donor and, and then you've got that child in your arms, you're never going to look back and go, oh, we should, if they'd have chosen another donor, that because that's your child. It's, yeah, of course. It always feels like the biggest decision you're ever going to make. But once you've made it, you wouldn't ever unmake it because yeah. that gives you your child. It's a, it's a really bizarre one. But I know now, I know people who have been to Russia, for example, and in Russia you get a database to look through and you get childhood photos, you get questionnaires personality questionnaires you get letters from the donor and wow. you can really delve into what you want and actually I think that would have driven me crazy having that amount of detail I think mm-hmm. I would have overanalyzed it and and in hindsight it probably was a good thing for me that I didn't have much of a choice and they just said to me yeah we found a match um, I was really keen to go, okay, tell me a bit about her. Um, but they didn't really want to do that until they knew she was responding to the drugs, which I found quite difficult at the time because I was sinking my cycle with an unknown woman in another country who was donating her eggs to us. And yet I didn't really know anything about her. So uh, I did have a clinic a little bit to try and get some more information. They did 
eventually they sent me through her profile and if you looking at it on paper I mean it was only very basic details but it was basically me on paper she was no. the, exact same, the exact same height um eye color hair color um and then they tell you I think she was college educated um and that's pretty much all you get um so you don't know much more and in some ways at the time that's easier because it allows you to keep that distance and yeah. especially when I remember feeling very threatened by the thought of the donor like they might replace me one day or well um, would... what control does oh sorry not control uh, does the donor have any rights over the embryo no, no they don't they um it's it's the eggs that are signed over to you and then the embryo is made with my husband's sperm um and they are our embryos they over in the Czech Republic, um, the donation is anonymous. Um, so they're, although they keep the donor's details on file for things like medical reasons, so they've done all the genetic screening, but if there were for any reason we'd need to find out some medical information in the future, we can get that. Um, but compared to the UK, the UK at the age of 18, the child um, is able to access the donor's information. And um and that's something I look back and I reflect on um like I said at the time it felt less threatening for me and I could make peace with the idea a bit more than the idea that actually it was anonymous um and it was a blank face and it felt simpler in a way that Mm -hmm. the girls would then have to when they're 18 have to decide whether or not they want to meet this person how would that person react um and now that I've kind of listened to people who don't learn a bit more, I, I see that that does actually take away a, a choice from the child um, if they did want to find out more. So, and that's not an easy thing to deal with as a parent because you always want what's best for them. And, and you kind of look back and you think, did I make the right decision there? But I can't regret that decision because that brought those exact girls to me. So Absolutely, I, yeah. Yeah, it's one I've had to reconcile in my, in my mind. But I find comfort in the fact that there is DNA testing which is so common nowadays um and that if they want to find that person one day I will support them with it and we'll we'll do that together and it's it's something that I'll be just really honest about at the time there were a number of reasons why we chose to to make that decision um we're really grateful for those decisions because it brought them to us of course Um, yeah I think it's so much of being a parent though, isn't it? You make the right decision at the time. Um, you just, with, with what you've got, you make that right decision. And if it's later down the line, you, you don't agree with us or think you could have changed the, the decision in any way, but you, you did the right thing at that time. And, and that's, that's all you can do. And um, that's yeah. the right thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think it is, at the time, um, you're in a position where you've been, and like us, we were so focused on wanting a baby for so long you become very kind of focused just on that and um it can be quite I think it's almost like a tunnel vision you don't really kind of look beyond that you you get to a point where you think right so we want to have this baby and then a medical professional comes along and says this is your best way of getting this baby and and what I find is really lacking is the conversation around actually not only is this a one-off decision for you to have a baby, it's also going to form the story of, of that child. And they may, they will grow into a, a, an adult and may have an opinion around that. And it's just not talked about. So we had no counselling whatsoever. I was going to say, so that with your decision, there was, there was no kind of like counselling attached to the process. In the UK, you do get a, a mandatory one counselling session in the UK, um, which generally tends to talk about kind of how important it is to talk to the child um, about all of that. But um, uh, yeah, we just kind of went in it. I was having counselling through work, but it wasn't specific infertility counselling or or thoughts about that in particular so we yeah we just weren't able to really process what would be beyond that we we knew we'd always be open and we were totally aligned on that we felt that I I couldn't imagine not telling them and them getting to a point in the future where they find out accidentally through a medical reason or do a DNA test and then mm-hmm. having to admit that we'd lied to them all those years. I, I just wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but yeah, now I think there's, there's a lot more complexity to it than I first imagined. Um, 
And that's why I kind of do what I do now in terms of sharing my story. I share my reflections and I talk about some of the things that I wish I'd have known. Um, and then also talk about how I intend to talk to the girls about it. And mm-hmm. I've, I mean, all three of them, even though Esker and Lena, my twins are two and a half now, they, they can explain or they can talk about mommy's eggs were broken and we need They know eggs. already? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we, we have storybooks. Yeah. Can you tell us how you do talk to them about it then? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I started with Mila, my eldest, so, um, she is now four and, I started practicing actually when she was a baby and I'm really pleased that I did. And this is a piece of advice I always give to people because quite often when you're talking about it, you feel very emotional. It's, it brings back a lot of grief, um, a lot of heartache and also the gratitude you feel. It's such a mix of emotions. Mm-hmm, no. uh, so whilst I was changing her nappy as a baby, I would say how much we wanted her and, and how mommy's eggs were broken and they, that there was a, um, a lady who did a very kind thing in giving us some eggs and, and that made her and, and we wouldn't change her for the world. And then as she's grown, we've, we've had, a, I have a storybook called happy together children's book and it, it basically tells the story. And there's two teddy bears who are wanting a baby and they go through all of these things. They go to see a doctor and then there's a lady called a donor who gives some eggs. And Mila, I, I've read that with her a few times. She will now try and read it to her younger sisters, <laughs> which Aww. is lovely. Um, and I remember one day um, she started to tell my mum about it. She said, you know, Nana, um, mummy really wanted me. Like, and that was oh, the bit she really, gosh. really wanted me. And mummy's eggs were broken um, and she was really sad. But then Oof. a lady, Lona, <laughs> gave some eggs oh, to mummy. Oh, my word. And daddy's seed and that made me and then I grew in mummy's tummy and we always kind of emphasized the bit where she was putting my tummy and I grew her um just the other night she was asking what her belly button was and I was able to talk to her about how we were connected that way and yeah it's just it just feels right and I think it's so scary to think about having those conversations but when you do it when they're young you almost become and now I can talk about it without any sort of emotion really in my voice although I, I have had moments where I get very emotional but she it, we talk about it in a positive way and I don't want to feel that we feel any shame around it whatsoever. I want them to be able to talk about it with pride and, and it is, it's kind of a factual thing and mummy's eggs were broken, they weren't working. So we, that's the route we had to take. And there's been a couple of difficult moments where she, she's asked a question. I, I remember, she, you know, you have the best conversations while they're sat on the toilet, don't you? When they're, um, <laughs> come on. Um, and she brought it up in some way and she said, but mommy, where is the kind lady now? And gosh, that's very um, mature. I was a bit free at the time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that it, actually it was moments where I was like, oh, oh gosh, she's asking about her. <laughs> she's asking about yeah. her. And I kind of composed myself and said, well, she's in a place called Prague in the Czech Republic. But I said, we, we, we don't know her and we probably won't know her. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to do as well, not to build up this image of this person we don't know, but to be really honest and manage expectations around that. Um, and we have a picture in our house that's been framed and it's a picture of Prague. And if they ask, I go and show them that. And I say, this is where um, you were you were made. You've and, thought of everything. Yeah, well, it's kind of all developed over time. I'll I tell you, when I was pregnant, I hadn't thought of any of this. But <laughs> it, it, um, it's just little things you pick up. And we have on our Christmas tree, I can see it now, we have a, a bauble that I... I bought when we were over there just a few hours after she was transferred. Um, I had the embryo transfer and uh, we felt very hopeful. And I'm going to buy this because it would really mean something. And I, every time I put it on the tree, it's just, it feels so special. Yeah. Yeah. And and she came back to Prague with us when we went to try for a sibling and um, she got to meet the doctors. I mean, she was only one at the time, so she wouldn't remember, but, um, and and I've been so lucky on this journey in, in the sense that, after we everything we went to through to get here, we we've had success on both occasions with embryo transfers with donor eggs. And, so and you haven't really you haven't really told me about those. So um, you yeah. synced your cycle with with your donor, and then um, and then it's like an, a standard IVF transfer, is it? Yes. Yep. So it's just almost like doing a frozen transfer. Really, you build up your lining um, and you go in to have your embryo transfer and. If, I've never had a blastocyst transferred. So that was a, a new thing for me as well. <laughs> so 
I had, um, it just felt I just felt more hopeful. And actually, Mina was transferred a day early because she was a she was already expanding as a blastocyst on day four, which was oh, heard. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Called me in the day early, and I thought, oh no, this means we've only got one embryo. And they said, no, 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 it's just that she's super fast oh, <laughs> and wow. super advanced. So um, yeah, we had that put back, and and yeah, I had a positive pregnancy test. Um, it wasn't all smooth sailing because I, I had quite big bleeds throughout the first 10 weeks of pregnancy which was carriage before and every time we'd go in for a scan we'd be kind of thinking the worst was going to happen sort of preparing for the worst but yeah there she was heartbeat ticking away um wow and we had our 12 week scan on christmas eve um, which was like the best christmas present ever that's amazing Um, and did you tell people did you tell people about the pregnancy prior to the 12 weeks or yeah that's kind of the, you do lose a bit of the element of surprise I think yeah. with IVF I mean we haven't done any social media announcements or anything before but a lot of people I'm quite an open book so a lot of people knew we were going through fertility treatment and um and did they know you were going through donor eggs as well yeah the, so people that were close to me did um yeah I was really kind of open about that and I think that helps my family a lot of people worry about how their family is going to react and they mm-hmm. almost kind of went on the journey with me and sort of saw that it wasn't working and they grieved that and and so yeah we yeah we kind of went through the pregnancy after that first 12 weeks I had a really smooth pregnancy and um I had Mila she was I was induced a few days early um and she was born on the 3rd of July in 2015 wow. and yeah I think during the pregnancy I obviously had a few kind of worries it was all unknown how would I feel will I bond with the baby like I would and how did you feel with the pregnancy what did like obviously had nothing to compare it to but um emotionally how were you feeling I think far by far the excitement and the joy of being pregnant and and especially when I started to feel movements that I that far outweighed things but there were certain things in the back of my mind and and I I always used to I wouldn't say it out loud because I'd feel a little bit shallow for thinking it but things like what the baby look like because you kind of know when it's genetically yours and your husband's that they're going to come out looking like a, a combination of you but I'd never seen an image of our donor or anything so I remember thinking to myself oh gosh I wonder whether would I recognize my child or will it was little things like that um and would they have some kind of sixth sense that I wasn't genetically their mum and those things played on my mind but kind of I was just so excited to meet that person as well at the same time kind of the induction process and then I had quite a difficult birth in the end I had um, I needed forceps um and I lost a lot of blood so I had to be kind of wheeled out quite quickly for um kind of they needed to remove the placenta and yeah. um I obviously you will know this being a midwife <laughs> and I lost a lot of blood needed two transfusions afterwards so I kind of I remember feeling quite sad that I'd not had that experience you know you kind of picture what your birth's going to be like and mm-hmm. I was kind of picturing that skin to skin immediately mm-hmm. and, and actually it was my husband left holding her for the first so, hour. Yeah, was, was Matt able to have skin to skin with her and yeah he good. was yeah and and I did have skin to skin for a few I can't remember it it's just you know I think everything was happening around me and it was just one of those moments where I think it, it's in your mind because like all I could hear was people saying she's bleeding she's bleeding and um yeah so it that I, I think I struggled to get over that a bit it took me a while because I kind of was grieving I think what I thought it would be and then I I think I thought it would impact our bonding but we ended up staying in hospital for a week um because we both had an infection and that actually helped because it meant I had the nights with her on my own and I had to do everything and I was really lucky that we were able to breastfeed and that was really important to me as well because that in my mind I wanted I think I was so sick of my body not working and yeah. not doing what it was supposed to yeah I just wanted this to work and and thankfully it did um and yeah, and I just fell in love with her more and more every day. I didn't look at her and see this strange baby. I just looked and it was it was Mila. It was her. I mean, she was spitting image of Matt, my husband. Uh, so yeah, yeah, and still is now. Um, and yeah, there was no sort of nothing in there that I didn't recognise because they just become themselves. And it's mm-hmm. something that you can't really see until you, you're in that place. Mm-hmm. It's uh, so unknown. Um I think now she's grown up. I, I mean, I've worked out the donor must have curly hair because Mila has got the most beautiful curls and Matt has no curls at all on his side of the family. So we, we feel that's come from 
um, the donor's genetics. Um, and how does that make you feel? You know what, I, if you'd have told me before, I would have been quite threatened by that. But actually, I, it's nice. I, it's something I can say, tangibly say, that must have come from um, the egg. Um, and... Yeah, we, we, I've kind of come full circle in that I almost celebrate their differences now rather than thinking I'd be threatened by them. And no, it's amazing. It, it is. And it is, it's how you then start to see how nurture takes over. And especially now that Mila's older and you can have a full conversation with her. And, and it's now that I see the way she acts, some of the things she says, and that's where I see myself. Yeah. And I like my mum said to me the other day, the way in which she's approached starting school, she said it's almost identical to you and the way that she, <laughs> you know, she, she just talks about her day, um, the words she uses. And, and yeah, I find that really heartwarming because I see that I am influencing and, and in ways just by being there and being of with course, them. being their mother. Yeah, and, and, and it's strange. You don't even allow yourself to think that far ahead when you're kind of in the middle of infertility and you don't, you, all you can think about is, making that baby and and if I'd have allowed myself to see all these things like all of the memories we can make and the traditions and the the things that you can pass on Mm -hmm. still I think I would have felt a lot easier about making the decision um and again that's why I try and share these things just to try and give people a bit of comfort around no I was going to say that's the beauty of what you're doing is that you're allowing helping other people to be able to do that and I don't think that's unusual because um being a midwife um my experience very much is that women um they, they don't really look past the birth um yeah. so normal conceptions healthy pregnancies etc but they few women I think really look too far past actually leaving the hospital with their baby so I think that's really normal and it's nothing unusual but in your case um and for women going through what you've been through it's really important like even more important to kind of look take that step um step forward and, and look that little bit further ahead definitely um and that's it's interesting you say that because that comes up a lot around um some of the fears we have when we're kind of going into motherhood and um I used to always think to myself oh I'm feeling that way because we used a donor and it's because we used donor conception when actually I remember I remember three weeks in sobbing to the midwife like I was so exhausted and just and I was worried that it was because I'd used a donor that I wasn't feeling completely happy all the time (laughs) and yeah it's just this unrealistic expectation and and then you find out that actually pretty much everybody regardless of their conception goes through that and Mm -hmm. it's just so easy to hang everything on the fact that it's because you used a donor and actually motherhood is motherhood and it's, it's not easy and I've had so many times where I've kind of cursed myself for for kind of thinking oh is it bedtime yet or (laughs) Oh, I find it hard because I wanted this so much. This is what you wanted. This is what you wanted, and and it's that real like the guilt almost afterwards. For no, I think it's so important that we talk about people who've been through infertility or surrogacy or however however they've got eventually got to become a family that you're still just a normal family at the end of the day, and things are hard, and you're not meant to enjoy it all. It's um it's okay to be exasperated and frustrated and tired and a bit cross sometimes because you're just human um yeah and it's and it's healthy as well Absolutely. and it's not all the time it does have its yeah. lovely moments too <laughs> it does it does and and they by far outweigh that yeah I think it's something I've had to like really think through especially when I, I kind of went from kind of struggling to have one and then with uh, having twins it was yeah quite a transition um so tell us about the twins so yeah we like I said we went back um Mila had just turned one and we went back and to try for a sibling thinking oh it might take a couple goes um because we had four more embryos frozen um so we went back and we hadn't realized that our clinic had actually frozen our embryos in pairs so oh really tend to have back um yeah we we, I didn't want to really put myself through the risk of a, a twin pregnancy. Um, I'm quite petite and my husband was really worried about how I would carry. And um, so it was quite a decision to make when we were told, oh, well, if you only want one put back, we can't refreeze. We have to thaw them together. Um, so it's either you have both put back or we had put one back and the other oh, one. one. Wow. So, so, yeah, I remember that conversation in an Airbnb. Sorry, so you had um, a conversation in an Airbnb, you were saying? Uh, yeah, so, yeah that it was quite a, a decision we didn't expect to have to make around do we have two embryos put back or do we um, just put one back? But then 
would lose another embryo. That's really hard. That's not an easy... Yeah. Especially when you've already got a one-year-old and it's kind of, you kind of think logistically and I mean, I emotionally, I couldn't let another embryo go. So we, we said we'd go for it. They said there would be about a 15% chance of twins. Um, and yeah, I, for the first like sort of few days, I suddenly started to have really strong pregnancy symptoms. And really? I, said to them, I think, um, I think both have taken and oh. we went for an early scan and I still remember his face, he was holding Mila and he was looking at me going, on the screen which was uh, really because I was like oh you're right okay I'll get heads around this and we kind of drove and also thinking right okay we're going to need a new car we're going to need to probably move house (laughs) but also yeah and and I was worried about um, the twin pregnancy I mean compared to some twin pregnancies I had quite an easy one in the sense I um delivered at 36 weeks um I did have preeclampsia so I was due to have a section at 37 weeks but um they brought it forward a week and um yeah so we we had Eska and Lena um they've all got names that link back to Prague so we wanted that kind of heritage to be in there and and in fact Eska's name is is very unusual it's E-S-K-A, and that is a the restaurant we went to um, after I had the embryo transfer and we sat there with Mila and we had the loveliest meal and we just, um, we were sat there and we said, Eska, that's a really nice name. Oh, I love and, that. It's a lovely story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and actually, cause I've posted about it, the restaurant have been in touch and said, if we ever go back, we can all have a free family meal there. <laughs> that's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. So yeah. So we, I mean, I was uh, Mila was 20 months when I gave birth to Esker and Lena so wow. that was yeah three under two um but I mean it's it's one of those things you when you've been through so much you kind of just you're constantly pinching yourself that oh my it's like buses they don't come along unless yeah. um I just through your whole experience everything's been really intense it's all been very kind of either quick or short you know in a short space of time or and now you have three under two which is Wow, that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I always said we don't do things by halves. It has yeah. been. We went through five cycles of IVF and then sort of two transfers with donor eggs. It all kind of happened within the space of like two, three years. It wasn't, I know some people have kind of fertility journeys that last so it's six, seven years. And mm-hmm. um, in a way, I feel lucky that we didn't have to kind of experience that for that long. Um, we were, yeah, incredibly lucky for it to work. And, then, and that's the weirdest thing. You're so that you're having to make these decisions and you've got your friends around you who are just falling pregnant on the first go and then you go to feel the most lucky person in the world because you the luckiest person in the world because you've got these children and you look at them and you think without all of that happening I wouldn't have you today and I wouldn't change them for the world and they they're so close and which I love I love the fact yeah. that they've got each other um, and having that closeness in age as well. They're all girls, so I mean, imagine what the teenage years are going to be like. Yeah. <laughs> Husband's going to move out for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he feels very outnumbered. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, and what I try to do now is kind of talk about all of these different paths to motherhood and parenthood and try and help normalise it because I want them to be able to talk openly when they're older about how they came to be without a fear of somebody going, what? Like, that's so weird or making mm-hmm. them feel odd about it. And um, and Mila's got someone in her class who's got two mums. So that's been a really nice way of being able to talk about how different families are made. That's and, awesome, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and do you have like um, one piece or like a couple of pieces of advice that you would give to somebody who's who's either going through or about to start a similar journey to yours um so yeah my two pieces of advice first one would be allow yourself to grieve and recognize that you need to do that because you are grieving the loss of your genetics and it's a hard one because it's but it's but it is it's a dream you've always held from right from being a little girl I'd imagined I would have a, a child that's a mini version of me and I mean I'm so like my mom it's always you just you're grieving for the way in which you imagined it would happen and that is is quite difficult to to deal with um and then my second piece of advice would be to find someone else who is going through it or to 
find find other people who understand because that is so important and it was I think actually meeting that one person who I found through a netmoms forum who had the little boy through donor eggs that was how I started yeah yeah and and she was amazing she kind of supported me throughout but she was the only person I could really say how I truly felt to and she allowed me to see what was possible um and I saw the bond between her and her um son and it just made it all seem better in a way. And, and again, that's what so many people say to me, just seeing you with your girls and seeing how what you do just on a daily basis just helps them hold on to that hope. And um, I think that's what's really important because that's what I was really missing, finding that connection with someone. And it felt like such an alien concept, but when I could see a reality, it suddenly became um more possible um, absolutely yeah and I'm able to accept it and through defining mum and um, obviously people can connect with you but do you, can you can you connect people together or is there is there a way that people can can meet up yeah or? um so I, I share a number of guest blogs and then quite often people connect with others through there and I have done something called fertility support Saturday before where I've shared people's stories and, and then people can connect with them and I can do that anonymously as well through Instagram accounts. But I've also recently created Paths to Parent Hub, which is a specific platform for support and connection for donor conception. And that allows people to um, access a private app um, where there are just people on there who are either parenting now or at the very beginning making the decision and it's just that private space where people can go on without fear of friends or family seeing it on social media mm-hmm. without fear of trolls on facebook groups um coming and commenting because it is quite a controversial subject which i didn't realize before um and yeah just to connect with other people on that journey but also there, there's monthly webinars from experts where they can interact and ask questions so we talk about all of these things like grieving the loss of a dream attachment and bonding epigenetics um and i'm also starting some support groups through there as well so there'll be a monthly opportunity through zoom for people to come together and, and just have a chat with others who are at different stages of the journey so it's yeah it's something i'm really proud of and something it sounds amazing kind of catch sooner <laughs> thank you um it's allowed me to do something hopefully longer term that around this that allows me to to kind of use my passion and my experience to continue helping others so of course and if you had to do it all again or start again knowing what you know now is there anything you would do differently or try and feel differently about um I think I would I would be a lot kinder to myself (laughs) in terms of the, the stress and, and recognizing um, how big a deal it was. Um, and I would also, I think I would have accessed some more specific counseling yeah. um, that could have helped me deal with some of those more specific fears relating to donor conception. Um, I can't say I would have chosen a different clinic or anything like that because it's just no, it only... you could, they, they thought you were your girl. So yeah. you never say yeah. that. No, no. It's, um, but it, yeah, it was a, a real journey, but one I now feel quite privileged to be able to share. Um, and I never thought I'd get to that stage. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, isn't it how things can shift? That's an absolutely beautiful story. And thank you so much for sharing it. Um, at the end of the podcast, uh, I like to ask three questions, if that's okay. Um, the first one being, if you could have coffee um, or gin or wine with any other female, um, alive, dead, family famous fictional um who would that be I, I found this a really tough one but I, <laughs> the, I I can't not go with family and mine would be it would be my nan um, and we were always yeah so she's no longer with us but we were always so close and she knew every part of my fertility journey so she oh. even though it fascinated her and she just couldn't believe it um but she was always so supportive I think we always worry about the older generation yeah. not in it um and she yeah she came along to some scans with me and she became poorly I think I was it was about four weeks before I had Mila and she went into hospital and I've got to get emotional now but she um, she was she died a month after Mila was born and I never got the chance to see her so um but it's one of those things I think in a way she she would have needed caring for by my mum. And I always feel like she let my mum kind of come to me <laughs> to support Aww. me. So, 
Yeah. Oh. I just want to show my girls and just for us to meet them. So, yes, I knew I'd get emotional on this one. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that would be. <laughs> I'm sure she's watching you somewhere and she's seeing your amazing girls. She will, yeah. And um, you're okay? Sorry. Yes. No, 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 it's fine. I'll come with them. Can I just go with someone like Michelle Obama? <laughs> oh, no, I'll go with the one that I really would say. So, yeah. Thank you Carry for on. sharing it. No, thank you so much. Um, and since becoming a mum, is there anything you found yourself saying that your mum used to say to you? Uh, yes, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more. At the minute, it tends to be around feeding. So I was always a bit of a fussy eater as a child. Um, and um, in particular, Esker and Lena can be a bit fussy. And I just always remember my saying, my mum saying, see, I told you you'd like it. Or, come on, try it, try it, try it, just try it. And I just hear myself saying it all the time. And after they've tried it and they liked it, I'm like, oh, yeah, so you see, I told you you'd like it. And that kind of at the ages they're at, that's the kind of what I hear myself saying now. But I'm sure as they grow, there'll be a lot more um, things that come up. But yeah, I mean, I'm looking, Mila's a brilliant feed. She'd just eat anything. Um, Is she? Yeah. Oh, Esker and Lena, yeah. If anything's a little unfamiliar, it's, yeah, it's a battle. But it's uh, ongoing in this house as well. Um, let me reassure you. Yeah, sure <laughs> yeah, that's that's my um, thing at the moment that I'm having to deal with. <laughs> and um, with regards to mum mum life or your journey, is there any um, little life hacks or advice you would give? Um, so I suppose if I share a, a, probably a twin hack in a way that kind of... I love a twin I'm, hack. Well, we, I was always trying to think, how do you kind of, keep up with all the schedule and how do you know which one you fed and which one and the best thing for me was I mean I started off just trying to feed them on demand so when one woke up I'd feed that one and then I'd feed the other one and I just was getting no sleep um I was just constantly feeding wasn't able to do anything with Mila and it was only when I started to go with the whichever was hungriest I would wake then the other one up so it was always Esther she would always wake up first um, she's always been the hungrier baby, whereas Lena's a bit more laid back and would quite happily go without. So I would kind of, as Esker would wake, I would also feed them both at the same time. And eventually they they got onto the same schedule and they just kind of became in tune. And even so much that their bowels became in tune. It was oh, like wow. <laughs> the napping would happen at the same time. It was bizarre. Um, but yeah, that was the biggest shift for me when, when I had twins around trying to manage it all. Cause at, at one point I thought, I just can't do this. I just can't do the two babies. It's, um, I mean, it's Honestly, hard enough with women who have multiple births are queen. Um, yeah. <laughs> No, honestly, because we're um, we our daughter's just turned one, and she's she was you know she was walking at nine months. She's into absolutely everything, and my husband and I just look at us, each other sometimes. And our our older boy, like he's very capable. We don't need to look after him, but we struggle with her sometimes because she's just yeah. everywhere. Like, how do you do this with more than one? I have no idea. So, in our amazing. Yeah, and I suppose that's another thing. As a mom, I've kind of learned you always think you can't do it, but you kind of just do, and it's knowing that we're all winging it nobody really has the answers to everything and not a clue and and it's so easy to look at other people I remember I'd go to baby groups and I'd look and I'd think oh god they're doing that and why is mine not doing that and why and yet they're anxious about something different it's just nobody everyone's winging it and I suppose that would be my final bit around motherhood (laughs) we'll finish it on that (laughs) yeah Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm conscious you need to get going. No, it's fine. No, don't worry. Sorry. I have to, um, for the listeners, take my son to like, for a COVID test. Bless him. <laughs> um, thank you, Becky, so, so much for your time. Um, it's been absolutely amazing hearing your story and, um, and everything you're doing. Um, so um, just quickly tell people how they can find you. Uh, with my account defining mum um and i've also got my paths to parent hub account on there as well um but i also have a blog at www.definingmum.com amazing well thank you and i'll put all of that in the show notes so um so everyone can um can access all the information there as well nice and easily thank you thank you so much have a lovely rest of day and thank you for rushing home from the nursery drop-off to speak to me i really appreciate it it's fine thank you very much thank you thank you so much to becky for sharing her incredible journey with me 
I love following her on Instagram and reading about her little moments of opportunity where she gets to share with her daughters about the special way they were made. Becky is now also doing so much for the donor community through her Path to Parent Hub page. So if this affects you in any way, please get involved. I continue to feel so incredibly honoured that these amazing ladies share their stories with me. And I'm so proud of the reach Motherhood Exposed is achieving. Please, if you're enjoying the series or have found any of the topics helpful, remember to share, rate and subscribe. Thank you again and have a super week and see you next Thursday. Take care.